crazy. I remember like a year ago, we were in the middle of like still a shutdown. So it was like, you know, you couldn't go into some places, some stores were still closed, and there was all kinds of crazy stories uh, from all around the country of things like this going on. And I remember one of the craziest things um, was there was a story about a guy who owned a gym in Arizona who refused to close his gym. And like a bunch of his gym members had barricaded themselves inside the gym and they refused to go home and they just stayed inside for like two weeks. And I was like, that must have smelled terrible. Just like a bunch of guys in there just working out, you know, almost all day, every day for two weeks. And I remember, uh, you know, a story maybe a little more close to home um, about a church over in the Eastern Shore uh, who were fined for not following proper social distancing guidelines. Now, everyone relax. This is not going to be like a political sermon or anything like that. This is just an just a example to get us going. But um, they felt that they were wrongly fined over that. They felt that the local government had overstepped their authority, that they were actually following all the guidelines that were in place. So what they did was they appealed to the uh, federal justice department because what they said was that the local government, the smaller level of authority, did not properly exercise the authority that it had. And they actually wound up winning that case and that the federal power, which has a higher authority than the local government, stepped in and then they took all the fines away and they didn't have to pay those. Now, the reason I start there is this. As we've been in this series for the past few weeks on a, uh, called A Tale of Two Kings, and we've been looking at this concept that Jesus is the one true king and how his kingdom looks much different than any other. It's been maybe a little bit more of a serious uh, series. Some of you guys have been like, man, I just feel like you haven't talked about like much humor or anything like that over the past few weeks. Well, it has been like a little bit more of a serious uh, series, and I'm uh, sorry to break it to you. It'll be maybe a little bit like that tonight as well, and you'll see more in a second. But um, we've been looking uh, every single week at just different examples of how Jesus is the one true king. So we started off this series by looking at David, and Saul. David is the forerunner of Jesus. Um, he is, is the example uh, that we look to in the Old Testament, and we looked at his kingship versus Saul's. And then the next week, we looked at Jesus versus kind of the disciples' concept of what they thought Jesus would be like, what they thought the Messiah was going to be like, why they had all these mixed expectations, and why when we have false expectations that are not based on Scripture about God, how that frustrates us. And tonight, um, we are going to be looking uh, at how Jesus challenged the authority of evil by looking to a greater authority, how Jesus didn't come um, just to overcome things on earth, but he recognized that there was a greater evil, that there was something going on behind the scenes. So you might have to put your student hat on with me a little bit tonight. I know it sounds like a little lofty, maybe a little meta uh, right now, but here's why we're talking about this is because I believe that Jesus wants you to be free. I think Jesus wants you to be free from the authority of evil, and the only way that that can happen is for you to make an appeal to a higher power outside of yourself. And we're going to see more of all of what I'm talking about tonight. But before we go any further, I want you guys just to pray with me. God, we're here for you. Lord, and even as just such a crazy time uh, that we have been through over you know, the past 14 months, Lord, as we just look on the horizons, even things like today, it just seems like, you know, every day that we might get closer and closer to this being over, there's just more craziness on the horizon. Lord, but we know that even in seasons of uncertainty, God, that you are our sure and perfect anchor of hope. God, that you are steady in the storm. Lord, and I know that there are those in this room who came into this place 
that are fighting and dealing with their own battles, that are carrying their own weights and their burdens. If that's you, would you just, right now, just the best way you know how, could you just lay that at the feet of Jesus? That for right now, that whatever it is that's heavy on your heart, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would minister to us. God, that right now that we could set those things aside, that we could hear from you tonight. Lord, I pray that you would speak a fresh word in our lives, God, that you would send a fresh wind. Lord, I pray that you would heal our minds and our bodies. Lord, I pray that you would set us free from the shackles of addiction. Lord, I would pray that you would change our hearts from selfish hearts to generous hearts. Lord, I pray that you would change hatred in our life to love. God, I pray that we would put down bitterness and take up love. Lord, I pray tonight, Lord, as we look at this story that you have saved for us. God, that it would speak a new word into our life. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me. God, that we don't need to hear from me tonight. We need to hear from you. I pray that I would step out of the way and that you would step in. God, we love you and praise you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I want you guys to flip or tap your way over to John 19. John chapter 19. We're going to be starting in verse 8. Uh, tonight, if you don't have your copy of God's Word, you can also follow along on screen. For you guys that are joining us online, it should be available for you guys as well. So we're going to be stepping into what I think is one of the most powerful scenes in the Bible, one of the most powerful instances of Jesus' life. This is the moment that Jesus is on trial with Pilate. So I want you to imagine for a second being on death row, but you have no lawyer. You are the guy that has to represent yourself, and the guy you're going against is judge, jury, and executioner of your life. What he says goes. Whatever he decides, there will be no appeals. There will be no social media backlash. There will be no newsroom coverage of it. There are no mistrials. There are no do-overs. Pilate, who was the governor of the Israelite territory for the Roman Empire. So think Pilate is like Caesar's little representative over the territory where Jesus lived, walked, and did ministry. He is the one who is representing the Roman government. Has Jesus on trial? Why? Because Jesus' own people turned him in for a bogus crime, accusing Jesus of being a violent rebel and up, trying to start an uprising or revolution. You guys got to kind of really stretch your minds back to two weeks ago when we really unpacked that whole idea. They bring uh, Jesus to Pilate because they accuse him of trying to start a violent uprising and to essentially try to overthrow Rome. So what that means is, is they're saying, hey, Jesus is actually trying to kick you out, Pilate. Ergo, he's trying to kick Caesar out. Now, we know that Jesus is not trying to do that, but this is the false crime, the false accusation that they are pitting against Jesus, and Jesus finds himself on trial. So leading up to this conversation, 
uh, Pilate has Jesus whipped and beaten, and he's hoping that if he just has Jesus whipped and beaten, this will kind of satisfy the Jewish leaders, and they will kind of relent from wanting to have him executed, because Pilate is really having mixed feelings uh, about it at this point. But he goes on to actually ridicule Jesus. He twists up a crown of thorns. He places it on Jesus' head. He takes a robe of purple and puts it on his raw wounds. And what he's doing is he's making a mockery about Jesus. He is publicly ridiculing him, saying, if you're going to be a king, this is the kind of king that I'm going to make you. So we pick up, this is what's going on in the background. This is what has happened so far in the story. And we are picking up sort of mid-conversation that Jesus is having with Pilate. Let's read this. In verse 8, it says, When Pilate heard this, and that word this, he's referring to the Jews calling to crucify him. So the whole time they're having this conversation, I want you to imagine outside just a roaring, angry crowd chanting, Crucify, 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 crucify. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Verse 10, do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Pilate's saying, don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I can do to you? Don't you know that my authority is ultimate and no one here can question my judgment? What I say goes, I am the highest authority in this land and I will crucify you. See, the Romans... They would behead anybody for just about anything. If you stole something, if you committed adultery, if you lied, if you did something like that, the Romans would behead just about anybody for any reason. They didn't really need much to try to behead somebody. But crucifixion, crucifixion was for the worst criminals. It was the highest form of punishment that they would exercise on people. They would publicly nail you to a cross and cause you to slowly suffocate on the side of a really public road where people would see that, so that when people would walk into Roman territory, they would see criminals suffocating to death on the side of the road as a sign to you that says, if you get in our way, this is what we will do to you. Imagine you're driving down 64, seeing this on the side of the road. All right, this is kind of the picture of what crucifixion would be. And Pilate's saying, don't you realize who I am, and I have the authority to do this to you. And Jesus gives, I think, the most powerful answer to don't you know who I am. Look in verse 11 with me. It says, Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Jesus is saying, Pilate, your authority only exists because Caesar gave it to you. And you know that I'm innocent, and the reason you're doing this is because you don't want the news to make it back to him. See, Pilate's mind is probably already going into, I don't want to get in trouble with the boss mode, so to say. But I think that Jesus was hinting both at Caesar, the Jewish leaders that turned him in for a bogus crime, and I think even something deeper, and don't lose me right here. I think Jesus is saying that even above Caesar that there was a greater power at work, that there was a greater evil that was at work, that Satan and his evil, ever since Genesis chapter 3, has been pulling all the strings behind the scenes and that their authority finally needed to be defeated. 
that the evil that has been ruling God's good world, it was time to set the record straight. But the way to do that was through Jesus becoming king. But his kingdom was not what people expected. It didn't come about the way that they thought it would. It wasn't established the way that any other kingdom was. Think about this. Jesus, he doesn't have a crown of gold, but he has a crown of thorns. His people don't cheer him on, but they mock him. When Jesus ascends to his throne, it's not a golden throne that's adorned with jewels. It's a bloody wooden cross. And his victory over evil to set humans free isn't by coming in and destroying humans, destroying the opposition, but letting humanity's evil destroy him by freely giving himself in a loving self-sacrifice. He is a different king who wins the battle, not through violence, but through love. That shows that true power doesn't come from force, that that's not what true strength is, but that true strength is found in service. True strength is found in love. True strength is found in sacrifice because just like Pilate's authority comes from a higher power, Jesus' authority came from the highest power. It came from the Father in heaven who wants to set his people free from authority. The authority of evil, the authority that has been crushing humanity, that has been ruling the world ever since it was erupted in Genesis chapter 3. Jesus is saying, enough is enough. This is my time to set you free. This is the way I'm going to do it. Keep going in verse 12. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be king opposes Caesar. They're saying, hey, there can't be two kings. It's either Jesus or Caesar. So if you set him free, you're saying Jesus is king and not Caesar. And that's not going to go well for you, Pilate. In verse 13, Pilate says, when Pilate heard this, he heard Jesus and he, sat Jesus, he brought Jesus out. And he sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. <clears throat> Pause for a second. Why include this random piece of information in the middle of this dialogue? Because if you're reading through John chapter 19, you're seeing Jesus and Pilate go back and forth. You're getting some chatter from the Jewish leaders that are outside. Why stop in the middle of the chapter in verse 14 to let us know what day it was and about what time it was? See, I don't think that that's a random detail that John just threw in there, that he just felt like, oh, they should know what day it is, what time it is. No, it's there on purpose, this random detail. John is activating imagery about the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb in the Old Testament is what the Jews would place their community's sin on every year at the Passover. For all the sin that they committed, they would place, if you will, their sin on that lamb, and then that lamb would die in the community's place. What John is trying to help us see is this is Jesus' way of becoming the ultimate Passover lamb who's going to take all of the sin, not just for the Jewish people, but the entire world. Jews, Gentiles, everybody is going to be placed on them. He is going to become the ultimate Passover lamb. Let's keep going. The second half of verse 14. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away. 
crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. He's given him one last chance. We have no king but Caesar. The chief priest answered. And with that phrase, the people chose another Saul. They picked Saul over again when what they needed was the better David. And with that statement, they said, we want Caesar to be our king because Caesar has power and he has authority. And this is not the king that we wanted. But in just three short days, Jesus will rise from the grave as the true king with authority over evil and authority over death. And when he did, he not only made the payment that we could not pay for our sin. He was not only that Passover lamb that we needed. He captured victory over evil for forever. So now you and I live in a time in history when evil's authority has been defeated. The evil doesn't have to have authority over you. And you're like, wait a second, like that doesn't make a lot of sense because I still see evil out here in the world. Listen, it's just like this. You guys know in sports, like let's take football for example. There is a moment in almost every single game when one of the teams will score the deciding touchdown. They will just score the deciding points that will determine which team wins the game. But oftentimes, there's still time left on the clock that has to be paid, played out. There's like a minute left or 30 seconds left. The game's technically not over. The rest of it has to be played out. But for all intents and purposes, the game is over. The team that is going to win the game has been decided. Friend, listen, you and I are living in that last 60 seconds that Jesus has won. He has landed the deciding blow. And we are living in that final stretch of time before he comes back. Think about it maybe like this. In World War II, when the Allies liberated Berlin, World War II and Europe was effectively over. But it took a few days for them to sign the treaty for it to officially end. Friend, I'm telling you, you and I are living in that stretch of a few days for when it is going to officially end. Authority, evil's authority has been defeated. We live in a time when anyone who would call on Jesus' name can be free from evil and its pain and its destruction and its dysfunction that it has brought on humanity. But much of the world has not chosen to grasp onto that. Much of the world has not chosen to live life the way that Jesus outlined in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, 7, and 8. So my question tonight is this. What has authority over your life? Authority means it has control over you. It means it has say-so in your life. If something has control over you, it means you can't say no to it anymore. It governs every part of your life, each moment of your day, even if you don't want it to, even if you stumbled into it by saying yes to it so many times that you can no longer say no to it, it determines your daily choices. And you may not even realize it. What has authority over you? We're going to talk about a few things tonight. It's certainly not exhaustive, but just a few things that came to mind. Maybe it's your view of other people that has authority over you. 
an unhealthy view of other people. Maybe your desire for a relationship has authority over you. You spend so much time worrying about who am I going to marry? Who is going to want me? I'm 24, 25, 28, 30 years old and never been on a date. And you think about that all day long, every day. You cannot even enjoy the presence of other people because you are trapped in this desire to just not be single. It's not even about getting married anymore. It's just about not being single. And it overrides your thoughts and your feelings. And you can't even go into a room or be around other people without things flooding your mind, thoughts filling it up with, man, how do they think I look? Do they think that I'm funny? Do they think I'm smart? Do they think I'm intelligent? Do they find me attractive? Do they think I'm cool? And your mind is just racing a hundred miles an hour. Guys, that is evil practicing authority over you. That is the enemy, Satan, taking God's good gift and distorting it in your life to bring not joy into your life, but pain, suffering, That's evil practicing its authority by distracting you from your true purpose, which is to be united to God and to do the good works that he has set before you. That's evil practicing authority distracting you from that, saying, hey, what you should worry about every single day is why your relationship status is single. You know how you can know if that has authority over you or not? If you you fit into that bucket, if you're in that category? Because every time you see someone else get engaged, you see someone else get married, you get really mad because you're not. Because that's not you. Because it hasn't been your turn yet. And you start to harbor feelings of anger and jealousy against them, and they haven't even done anything to you. That's how you know. Maybe you desire every day not to be single because you're looking for someone who can fill in a gap for your life. A gap that they can't fill. Maybe you're looking for someone uh, to give you security. Maybe you're looking to date someone not to find a partner for ministry, but to kind of stroke your ego, to kind of make you feel a little bit better about yourself at the end of the day to prove to yourself that you've got it and that your life is put together and that you're not messed up and that you're making it, whatever that means. Like, can you just be honest that you're just looking to use someone if that's you? You're looking to use someone to fulfill your own needs, to fulfill your own self, and that in and of itself is inherently selfish. Like, I'm just, chal- I'm just asking you just to be honest about that. Maybe you've fallen into sexual addiction and you've spent hours and hours exposing yourself to something on a phone screen, thousands and thousands of people. And because of that, that has retrained, that has warped your view of humans, that has warped your view of other people who are around you. And you really, really struggle to even just have like a normal conversation or to try to have a normal interaction because of the way that that has affected you. Listen, friend, I'm not condemning you because I was there. I was that person. I was that guy. I was that one that I was letting evil exercise all of its authority over me. And I'm telling you 
You can be free. You do not have to be a slave to it. Jesus set me free. He can set you free as well. But I'm telling you, from this point on, you've heard my voice. If you stay in that, this is your choice. It is your choice to stay in bondage to that. It is your choice to stay enslaved to that. You can't keep making excuses for it over and over. You have to choose to be free. You have to choose to go to Jesus for help. You have to choose to cry out to the Holy Spirit to set you free. And listen, come talk to me. I'll give you my number. We'll talk. I'll help you. I'll go with you along the way. I'm not going to send you out there on your own, but I'm telling you, you must make the choice to be free from that. You must call on the higher authority to set you free from what has authority over you right now. Maybe it's your view of self. You spend every single day trying to build a better you. And maybe you think that that finally is what is going to bring you happiness in life is whenever you finally build this imaginary mythical person in your brain that you've been building up. Maybe it has authority over you because you spend hours and hours, paycheck after paycheck, trying to build a better you, trying to build a stronger you, grinding it out over and over, hours and hours in the gym so you can look better in the mirror. Maybe it's a smarter version of yourself churning through podcast after podcast, article after article, trying to gain knowledge, trying to stay informed. Maybe you think it's a more successful you, climbing the career ladder, making the sale, getting the promotion, bigger check, better, bigger benefits package. Maybe you think it's a more influential you, more followers, more subscribers, more likes, more shares. A you with better stuff, nicer clothes, faster car, bigger house. And every single day you spend chasing the better you can't go to sleep at night because you're wondering, man, what can I do to improve myself? What can I do to get better? What am I missing? Why do I still feel this way? And the problem is, is you're still there and you are still you. You can't self-improve your way out of that. You need Jesus to set you free. You need Jesus to show you who you truly are, to to show you what your true identity is, what your true purpose is. It's not trying to self-improve, 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 get better, get better, get better, and it's just to rest and abide and to hear Jesus' word when he said, I am finished, he meant it's done, it's finished. That you're enough for Jesus to meet you where you're at. That his ways are better, that his ways are higher. Jesus isn't offering you a better version of yourself. I think that Jesus is offering you a new way to be a human. He's offering you a new way to live life, a new way to see the world around you, a new way to frame what success truly is, a new way to frame what love is, a new way to phrase or frame what service is and who your neighbor is. I think Jesus is offering you a better way that's not focused on you, you, you all the time because that is exhausting to try to carry that. 
It's not a life that's focused on you, you, you. It's a life that's focused on Christ and a life that's ultimately focused not on you, but others. So when you know that your life is starting to shift to where it's not focused on how can I self-improve, self-improve, self-improve all the time, and it's, man, how can I serve others? How can I invite people into my home? How can I bring others around my table? How can I practically, proactively love people in real, tangible ways around me? That's how you know that that evil doesn't have authority over you anymore. Because you called on the higher authority. And you said, look, I've tried to live life my way. And I see that you're offering me a new and a better way to be human. I want to be set free from that. And I want to live life this way, not the way that I have been living it. Maybe it's religion that has authority over you. And I'm not talking about the kind of religion that James talks about in the New Testament or maybe when you're having a conversation with people and they're like, what religion are you? And you're like, I'm a Christian. I'm not talking about that kind of religion. I'm talking about the kind of religion that Jesus disrupted and that got him on trial and that ultimately caused him to be executed and murdered by Pilate. That's the type of religion I'm talking about. The religion that is cold and methodic. Where it's just about doing things to do them and thinking that that earns you favor with God somehow. That if I just go to church, if I just read the Bible every day, if I just do these things, I do these religious activities, that's somehow going to help God love me more. Somehow got to earn me some extra points, some extra favor. Maybe you go to church each week not to see how God might change you, but because that makes you feel like you're better than other people who are around you. Maybe uh, it's making you better than the people that you don't like. And you know what I'm saying. The people who uh, aren't in your tribe, they don't think about ideas and stuff like that the same way. They're not in your political party. They don't see the way that you do things uh, is right. And you can tell that this has authority over you. If you open social media and you start scrolling through there and you think, man, these people would just be much better off if they were more like me. If they just took the same side that I took on all these issues. If they just thought and spoke the same way that I did. Because when you do that, when you say, I wish that everybody else would just stop being so stupid and start being more like me, what you're saying is, you know what? People don't need to be more like God. They need to be more like me. So what you're saying is, you know what? You think that you're better at being God than he is. Maybe you're someone who comes in and out of church, but you don't really change. Nothing in your life has ever really been different. It's never changed the way that you look at other people. It's never changed the way you view others. It's never made you want to do anything else to love anyone else around you. Maybe you've never really made the choice to commit your life to following Christ and repenting in such a way that you say, Jesus, change the agenda of my life because you're in charge now. Because I've tried to be in charge, and it's not working. It's not getting me anywhere. I'm miserable, and I look behind me in the rearview mirror of life, and I just see a train wreck of broken relationships and bad decisions. Like, I'm done living this way. You're in charge now. I'm going to start looking at people the way that you do. I'm going to start loving people the way that you actually love them. Maybe that's what you need to do to be free of religion. The last thing 
Maybe it's the world. I think many of us in here, like we just want to be free from the world. Free from any and all responsibility. Free to do what we want, when we want to do it, how we want to do it, with who we want to do it with. Like that's just what we want. Free completely from all responsibility, total freedom of choice. And there's a lot of ways the world tells you that this is possible. So maybe you think that financial mobility is the way to do it. Like if you can just get to a place in your career where you can have enough money, you can finally have mobility to where you're kind of free from responsibilities and everything kind of runs and takes care of itself. Maybe you think it's finding the right job, right career position that's going to grant you the ability to do that. But the underlying fact remains true. You just want to be free from authority. You don't want anyone to tell you what to do. And you don't want to take responsibility for anything. Well, there is one group of people who are completely free from responsibility and authority. And you see them every day. It's homeless people. But that doesn't sound very appealing, does it? Maybe Jesus can offer you a better way. See, guys, contentment. Contentment is the key. It's been said that if we can't be with content with what God gives us in our current lot, which just means our circumstances, all the things that you have, then you run the risk of never enough becoming your God. And that's how you know if the world has authority over you. Because you spend every single day trying to think, man, how can I get out of my responsibilities and how can I subvert authority? How can I get out of what I'm responsible for? How can I subvert authority? And that's how you know if that has authority over you. Guys, all of these things demonstrate sin's hold on you. It's authority over you. One of my favorite pastors, uh, his name's Todd Wagner, said this once. Changed my life. He said, sin will take you further than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you want to pay. Don't ever play with it. Don't ever try to toe the line. Don't ever try to say, well... I'm just going to do a little and that's enough because the next thing you know, you say yes so many times you lose your ability to say no and then it gains authority over your life. So how do we get free from evil's authority? And we believe and follow the one who defeated evil when he became king on the cross. He is the greater authority we have to call on. He is the one true king. Listen, for the disciples, later in the book of Acts, they would say this phrase over and over that Jesus is Lord. And for them to say that Jesus is Lord meant that Caesar was not. And for them to say that meant that Caesar is not in charge of my life anymore, but Jesus is in charge of my life. Maybe for us tonight, you need to say for the first time or you need to redeclare in your life, Jesus is Lord in charge. I'm tired of going my own way. I can't go this way anymore. Jesus is in charge. And by saying that and believing it in your heart, and when I say your heart, I mean your core innermost being, the Holy Spirit will set you free from evil's authority in your life. It doesn't mean that you live a sinless life from here on out. It means that you don't have to give in to sin anymore that you always have that choice in front of you. Paul says this, Romans 6, chapter 16. Sorry, Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Don't you know when you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves 
of the one you obey, whether you are slave to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. So what Paul's saying in verse 16 is, look, every single person, even Adam and Eve in the garden, has a choice in front of you. What are you going to let have authority over your life? Or in this particular part of scripture, he uses the analogy of slavery. What are you going to be a slave to? What is going to conduct your life? What's going to control every single choice, even the choices you're making that you're maybe not even aware of? You have a choice. You can be slaves to sin, which leads to death. And when Paul says death, he's talking about pain, misery, dysfunction, the worst moments of your life, things that you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy. All of those terrible, terrible things that makes humanity so bad. Paul's saying, you have a choice. You can be a slave to that, or you can be a slave to obedience. You can be a slave to righteousness, which leads to life, and life, and full, and joy, and abundance. Verse 17, but thanks be to God that you used to be slaves to sin. You have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and become slaves to righteousness. I love that phrase. You have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. Paul is saying when you pattern your life after the teaching of Jesus, whenever your life mimics and predicts what Jesus would have done if he was there in your shoes, that's when you know that your allegiance is to the king. That's when you're saying Jesus is Lord, Caesar is not. That's when you're saying that Jesus is in charge of my life now. Guys, the only true way to be free, the only true way to be free is to call on a higher authority. Because you're down here at the local level now. You've got to call on a higher authority to come in and set you free, and that is under the good authority of the one true king. So I want to give you a chance to do that tonight. Would you guys just pray for, with me for a second? You just bow. You just cry out to God right now and just say, God, what does it mean in my life for you to take charge? God, would you just show me right now what that means? You just say, Jesus, whatever has authority over my life, God, I'm calling on the higher authority right now to set me free. Just ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you set me free from whatever it is that's raining? Set me free from evil's authority over, because I know that you dealt the deciding blow on the cross. That the true King Jesus claimed victory on his throne. Just thank God for the way he's showing up in your life right now. The way he showed up in your life in the past, the way he's shown faithfulness to you. It may not have been the way you expected. It may not have been the way you wanted thank him for that.
say, Jesus, I want to be free, not for freedom's sake, God, but free to choose you, free to love you, free to serve those around me. Jesus over the next few minutes. Jesus, would you just show me what's next? What's next to my followership of you? What do I have to do to pattern my heart after your teaching? What do I have to do to swear my allegiance to you as king? you in this place and you want to declare that Jesus is King, that He is Lord, that He is Savior, that He is the one who was that Passover lamb. Just right now in your heart, in the best way you know how, you say, Jesus, I'm committing my life to you. You're in charge now. I'm giving you my agenda. I'm giving you my way of life. Even if you've been following Jesus for a while, even if you've already all gone in, you say, Jesus, I've let evil gain authority over me, but I'm calling on the higher authority. 